0: Pull up a seat and listen to our table. We welcome all who sit at our table. Let's enjoy our caffeinated delight, for we are all monsters on the darkness of nights. Hello, welcome to Caffeinated Monsters, your bi comedy Hour podcast. I'm your host, Faith, and today we have a
1: very special guest for this week's episode. If you'd like to
0: introduce yourself, my dear.
1: Hello, uh, my name is Clara. Uh, I am a, a trans model as well as a horror enthusiast. Uh, me and Faith actually go way back, uh, way back in the day. We actually know each other for quite a few years. Uh, so I am quite well versed in horror and as well as uh, being in the alt scene as well. Uh, so I think, yeah, we're going to have a really good chat today.
0: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one given how many, uh, well, Given this week's episodes about uh, trans representation in horror, what book thereof?
1: Of course, yeah, and I think this is something that really needs to be uh, talked about more. And I think it's uh, also going more into because it's not just uh, representation uh, with trans people; it's also how they're represented, uh, especially in horror. Um, I mean passionate about i've seen a lot of older films because i mean let's face it in the 70s they didn't really have a lot to go on you know trans people were kind of boxed into one sort of category and it was either very like villainous or it was very you know they were made out to um be you know freak shows and spectacles and villains and you know the media kind of tried to make them look scary and this is what trans people are especially in a lot of horror films like um buffalo bill i mean he was i mean yeah i mean speaks for itself anyone that knows horror knows who's buffalo bill is and the way that he was portrayed uh as uh well they were portrayed as like you know a trans person and that's what they're going through that all trans people are you know really messed up and that's just not true and i think it can leave a very problematic um imprint on a lot of people that don't know a lot about trans people as well so yeah it's a very interesting topic and i'm actually really glad to be a part of it actually so thank you very much for asking me i really do appreciate that
0: right all right i mean i, I did actually think of you after i came up with the idea for this one for this episode because um like you said we uh, we go way back like we met each other in college and then it turns out we had to meet your friends and just started hanging out at house parties
1: yeah exactly we actually like met each other like years ago when uh, like sort of before i was really transitioning in a way i guess i mean i've always kind of presented the way that i do but it's you know it's actually growing into myself and you know we have grown a lot as people and i think yeah that we definitely have that like you know you like we know, we know each other very very well and we know who like we were as well so that's definitely like you know and i'm really actually happy that you Came to me about this because this is something that I definitely do feel strongly about.
0: Yeah, it's funny a lot of back on things. I remember how awkward we both were in our, in our own skin back th- back in the day.
1: <laughs> oh God, the whole trans experience. I wouldn't recommend it honestly. It's it's not something that I because <laughs> it's as well as I, you know, the whole uh, like you know, I remember being a teenager and growing up, you know, growing up trans and thinking you know there's so many paranoid thoughts and you know how people perceived me as a person and you know how I was uh you know looked at and as an adult now I kind of look back and more think that it was very interesting the way that people viewed me because it d- depending on where you were from and depending on like uh like you know the situation that you grew up in I was viewed as a completely different person and looking back on that i do find that really interesting because i mean i mean i never thought that i would like i look back on myself when i was in college and just think oh my god i don't know who that person is anymore like i have no idea who that person is but so many different people that i came across um growing up would view me in a completely different light depending on uh if they were uh, like you know, if they had a very poorly educated background, or if they were from like either a different country, a different cultural background, that the whole factor of me being trans was perceived completely different from every other point of view. And as an adult, I just find that very interesting, and I can kind of look back on it, you know, as an adult and not be angry. I'm more, you know, I I have a more educated perspective on it.
0: Yeah, it's good to grow as a person, but not only with you know, gaining other people's perspectives sort of how they approached you when you were younger but also the fact you can sort of look back and kind of go oh I kind of understand it now and I kind of have a bit more of a a bit more knowledge about where they were coming from with their approach towards me in a way.
1: Of course yeah and I mean I kind of look back and think like how did I not see this sooner because you know some situations i look back and you know when I had like a realisation of Oh, this is this is going to be for real. This is this is who I am as a person, or maybe like, oh, this person actually is drifting away from me because I am transitioning. Maybe I should, you know, rethink this. And I kind of look back and think, why didn't you see any of this sooner? And why didn't you do anything about it? It's always in hindsight that you realize everything when it's too late.
0: Always find it funny when you look back on things like that, and it's like, how did I not spot that? It's like um, almost like a um. A red flag in a relationship—you don't see it at first, but afterwards, you're kind of like, "Wow, that was
1: that was like a beacon of red light." (laughs) Of course, yeah. I I mean, I always kind of look back and think, like, how like if I can spot those things now, like, and it always it always makes me laugh when all of your friends know exactly what's going on around you, and you are literally the last to know.
0: Yeah, it was like that when I um. When I came out to my, well, one of my parents and that, she said, So uh, we all knew you were at least bi. And I was like, You what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember like when I, when I was kind of coming out to my parents, well, I mean, I, I kind of officially say I never really came out to my parents because we never really sat down and had that conversation. It was just kind of one day I left my room in a full face of makeup hair extensions booty shorts like little vest top bra alert. and I was like I'm going out I'm meeting my friends and there's nothing you can do about it and the only thing that my mum really said to me was yeah not in those shorts like put some bloody clothes on and <laughs> yeah and honestly <laughs> and we never really spoke about it since and it just kind of became a thing. and then you know but like one dinner conversation you know my mum and dad were kind of just like this this is how you're gonna be for the rest of your life isn't it and i was like yep and they're like okay like and you know i i honestly couldn't have asked for better parents but yeah it's like it's it's oh i hate it when anyone's like oh what was your coming out story how did your parents find it and i'm like there is no coming out story (laughs) like and it's really anticlimactic because for me it was it was more of a case of well this is how i'm gonna live my life now and my parents can deal with it and i kind i kind of like i'm kind of jealous of everyone that's kind of got that coming out story where it was like they had to build up so much courage to do it and it was you know the big payoff you know we still love you and there was that never had that conversation with my parents and i feel like i kind of missed out a little bit
0: same in a way i mean with my mom it was quite funny with my dad it was a little bit awkward because i did it by accident
1: you did it by accident
0: how did you actually
1: how did you come out by accident
0: it's because i went to a fair with some friends and um their dad made me to buy a shirt. They said, nobody knows I'm a lesbian. And when I got home, my dad realised that the neckline on my shirt was different under my hoodie. And he said, oh, let's have a look then. I kind of like hesitantly showed him. And it's like, oh, it suits you. Oh, yeah, that suits you. And just carried on fo- folding laundry. I was just standing there like, what the hell just happened? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he just kind of sat there like, just go with it. Just go with it. Like...
0: <laughs> With some of my family members, I think it was just kind of like, "Meh, uh, it's just another thing."
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like when because when I when I kind of like when my parents kind of came to the like realization that you know this you know this wasn't just a phase and you know this is this is how I was going to be for the rest of my life and I was I was you know I was their daughter I always have been. Like uh when it came to my sexuality, funnily enough, my sexuality was more of an issue because I identify as pansexual um so for anyone that doesn't know what that means it means that i just don't uh g- gender doesn't equate to why i'm attracted to a person it's like you know i am i am attracted to whoever i am attracted to uh regardless of how they present whether they are male female non-binary trans like it it, it doesn't bother me it plays no factor and trying to explain that to my parents was more difficult than the whole trans thing which i thought was really funny because I, I would have thought it would be the other way around, but no, it, it was. It was they couldn't understand pansexuality. <laughs> I think it is quite
0: difficult to explain, especially just like older generations, because it's um, usually it's like you fancy like one set of people, or you fancy both. It's not just you know. It's um, the fact that there's that sort of like there's actual like terms for people that actually, that don't fit within those sort of like um, constrictive. Uh, categories that were kind of like thrust upon people when they were younger
1: yeah and I guess like I mean if you asked me what pansexual was like back in college I would have been like what is that like because <laughs> I mean I was still quite I wouldn't quite say narrow-minded but I was definitely very ignorant to a lot of other things and I think sexuality was a bit thing because I used to think that I was bi because I think um I don't know. I don't know if you felt the same thing, but like when um, we like, you know, there, there was either straight, gay, or there was bi, like, and there was kind of only three that you could go off. And then if uh, like any other sort of like sexualities were put into the equation, it'd be like, well, no, like because if you're bi, you like both. And it was actually like as we kind of got older and these terms started to become a lot more normal, you realize that actually sexuality is so fluid as well as gender. Like it's just so fluid. That there there's just a lot more. People can kind of feel like they fit somewhere now, which I absolutely love. Because when I tried to say that I was bi, but I was like, "Well, it, it's like I, I like very feminine men. I also like very masculine men, but I also like very like masculine women. But I also like you know." And it was kind of like being bi doesn't sound right, but I just there wasn't a word for it, and I couldn't really think of it. And when I think I first heard the term a year before I moved to Brighton, so it was about nine years ago. And someone, uh, someone was like, "Are you sure you're not pan, like, pansexual?" And I was like, "What?" And um, they then had to explain it to me, and I was like, "Actually, that fits. That fits perfectly." And I think now there's a lot more places for people, and it's a, like the world is becoming a lot more inclusive. Yes, like there is a long, long way to go, especially in other parts of the world. But I think now. A lot more people feel that they actually fit into a box, but it's a box that they choose to be in, as opposed uh, opposed to, you're gonna go in this one, whether you like it or not, you know? And that's why I kind of love about, like, you know, the whole growing up thing, because you look back and you kind of think, oh, like, there was a lot more knowledge for you when you just didn't have it, (laughs) like.
0: Yeah, it was very limited back then, because I could understand, yeah, because I wasn't, I mean, for me, when I was younger, I mean, even to this day, I have days where I'm, I feel more feminine, I feel a bit more girly. And there's other days where I'm like, I, I feel more like, um more masculine.
1: Mm. I, uh,
0: like me and Mrs. call it like having a guy
1: day. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I get you. Yeah, totally. I, I kind of get the same thing. Like I totally get it, because as well as like you're comfortable in your own in your own gender identity, but it's like you know, some days you just kind of wake up and it's like, oh it's just a little bit mishmash today, isn't it? Yeah,
0: but it's it's nice that there's like actual terms for it now.
1: Of course, yeah, and I mean when um the whole uh because I remember when it actually blew up over the internet, and it was kind of when I first moved to Brighton, the whole um non-binary gender no uh, gender non-conforming and gender queer um started to become more uh, like more of a like thing and a lot the main press that I actually saw about it was of course negative I was saying you know it's a, you can either be one or the other you can only transition from one to the other you know the, there's no in between and it's only kind of when you meet people that are like non-binary genderqueer and non-conforming that you do actually kind of maybe not so much understand it but you get a more clearer idea of where they're coming from and it's like how they actually feel that they fit on the scale because uh like how one of my friends actually uh put it to me was they never feel more like a man than a woman any other day and they are always kind of fluctuating between the two and it's just constant but they don't try and they, you know they they don't try and find a destination they're just kind of going with the flow and they're just going with it and when they kind of told me that i was like, actually that makes a lot more that's a lot easier to understand than a lot of people think and as well even if you don't understand it just respect it
0: <laughs> exactly it's, it's kind of like um like if you go up to someone that you know that you feel that isn't what you perceive to be like a trans person or uh or going up to a, a femme lesbian and thinking oh they can't be gay and things like that and it's or um being a bit more mindful of other people's boundaries and it's kind of like understanding that really you know what they're living their life they're enjoying themselves they're not causing you any harm so why is it such an issue for them to know what, what what's in your trousers, essentially?
1: Of course. Yeah, I used to think that it was like, you know, um, that it was, you know, just an age thing. And it just happens, you know, when you grow up, you just become a lot more intellectual to these kind of things. And you just kind of, you know, you take things on the shoulder a lot easier and it's easier to kind of just be like, oh, well, if you're not hurting me, then, you know, it's fine. But I've actually found that, now it's it's not necessarily an age thing it's it's more of a um like a whole generation thing because my little sibling actually um comprehends a lot more about um like gender identity uh, sexuality and uh like you know trans rights and visibility so much more and, and like and they're not the only one like a lot of his um uh, like peers in like school and everything were very like, because I met a few of them, that it was very, very interesting because they were all very in the know about this, and they knew what was acceptable, what wasn't. Uh, they didn't want to offend anybody. They're like, "Oh, if this how do they feel comfortable?" And this is how we're going to say their pronouns are they, them, and you know. And I just think it's it's one amazing, and two, it's it's really nice to see that kids are actually a lot more on board with it than we were at school. Because I mean. I mean, I think I could speak for both of us when I say when we were at school, it was a completely different story. I mean, we were on the arse end of Section 28. Like.
0: (laughs) Yeah, public enemy number one.
1: (laughs) Honestly. And like, because when I, because when I came to the UK in 2007, I'd never actually lived in the UK. And I had this kind of image of. Oh, you know, well, they had a lot of, like, you know, British icons, like, you know, uh, Boy George and Freddie Mercury. And there was, like, you know, all the, all these really, like, colourful, like, you know, gay gay men. And, like, you know, David Bowie, who was very rumoured to be bisexual. And I was like, oh, you know, they, they all think it's fine. And I could not have been more wrong. <laughs> like, and... I And it still baffles me to this day that some people kind of thought, you know, oh, well, back in my day, men were men and women were women. And I look at the men and the women and all those in between in the area that they grew up in and just think, you are so wrong.
0: (laughs) It's just, it's weird to look back on things like that and think, wow, people really just kind of like, it's the fact that it was almost like you're pigeonholed into certain categories and it's just kind of like, i'm not a scary monster i'm just you know
1: (laughs) yeah of course like and i think like um a lot of the problems that i faced personally um i can't speak for every trans person out there but a lot of the problems that i faced personally was that a lot of people thought that i was like because of course they they kind of saw trans person and thought oh they are xyz and actually when they started talking to me and actually getting to know me like as a person they were like actually you are nothing like that like so i remember meeting this one uh guy uh who was a friend of a friend and like he, he was all right but he was just a little bit like blissfully ignorant and he was like oh well you know you don't look like the ones on telly and I remember thinking, excuse me, like, you know, I was like, you know, like, hold, hold like, you know, my earrings, I'm going to go for this guy. And in the end, when I was actually talking to it, it was more of a case of, I just genuinely feel really bad that that's how you view trans people, that they have to be very ultra feminine and bimbified and barbified. And, you know, it's all about big hair and big boobs. And, you know, if you don't look like that, then you're not really trans. And it's it's the whole... People trying to smash gender roles. But when you are trans, your gender roles actually matter because it means that people will either take you seriously or they won't, which I think is absolutely ridiculous because trans women do not owe femininity and trans men do not owe masculinity, in the slightest, at all. Yeah, I do agree with you on all of that.
0: It's, um, you know, they could like... I'm trying to think of a word to put it... Um, because of, like, that notion from childhood that really it was broadcast on, like, films and TV that, oh, this is what these particular people are are like, and that's just kind of stayed with people because there never was that proper, like, actual positive um
1: yeah, there was never really that positive reinforcement of like, you know, oh, tra- trans women and like, well, trans people in general are, you know, they're just like you and me, they have their own dress sense, they their in this. It was, it was a case of, oh, well, if they are transitioning, then they have to adhere to X, Y, and Z. And if they don't, like, you know, like trans women cannot be a lesbian, which is something that I had to actually tell so many people that when um you know the day on tv i can't remember her name but she was like a quite a famous um trans woman back in the day and she uh, like went through a period where she had a girlfriend and people like wait so she's she's a woman now but she's got a girlfriend so does that make her straight and i'm thinking how are you confusing sexuality and gender so nonchalantly and I, I mean, I personally never understood it, but the way that trans women would be perceived in the way of sexuality and uh, the way that they would appear. So if there was like a tra- like um, a woman that was into women said so she was a lesbian, but she just so happened to be trans because she didn't dress feminine and she didn't have like, you know, she, she wasn't obsessed with Barbies and she didn't wear dresses or heels or anything. Just, you know, plaid shirts, jeans, trainers, done that that was a big problem because that's not what trans women are. And that notion definitely has, and well, still to this day, has stuck with a lot of people to say that, well, you have to conform to a specific gender stereotype if that's what you are going to do. And it's always baffled me because I've personally never understood it.
0: I haven't either. I mean, I feel the same way when it comes to, uh, like, Ugh, God, back in the olden days when it came to like, lesbian representation on TV as well.
1: Yeah, and I think the term, right, I the term lipstick lesbian, oh, I I hate it so much because it's just, it's, it's basically saying it's okay to take the mick out of this girl for liking girls because there's no way she can like girls. She's too pretty. Look at all that makeup. Look at her hair. There's no way she likes that. What, like, why are we invalidating a woman's sexuality because of her appearance?
0: Mm, yeah, and the uh, stereotype of if a woman wears, like, plaid, then she's gay, or Doc Martens, or has, like, half her head shaved, it's just kind of like, oh, for God's
1: sake. Of course, and it's like, you know, if you look at a woman that looks like that, and you're saying, oh, well, you know, she's blatantly a lesbian, but then, uh, like, a girl that wears makeup, does her hair, like, you know, wears really feminine clothes, Says, oh, has like long nails as well. Of course, and it says, oh, I'm I'm a lesbian, I'm gay. And like, really? I would have never thought. And it's like, why do you did that? What What does a lesbian look like? yeah
0: yeah. Unless it's um, uh, unless someone turns around and says, oh yes, um, oh god, what's that joke? Uh, Oh, sorry, Judge sneezed. (laughs) 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 Um that, oh yeah, you're not a true gamer girl unless you're like, you like, no, X, Y, and Z. It's, it seems like that for uh, like back, yeah, the olden days when it came to like being in, in the LGBTQ plus community.
1: Oh, yeah, no, I totally get what you mean now. Yeah, no, I I totally get it now. It's like, well, are you sure? Because you don't adhere to this criteria, and because you don't adhere to this criteria, you cannot be what you're saying you are. Like, like okay gatekeeper kyle (laughs) honestly it's like i like one thing that i'm really really sick of especially in the modern world is gatekeeping what people either can be or are because they don't adhere to your idea of it it's especially like you know just because um like a, a trans woman rides a motorcycle does not mean that they are you know not adhering to you know wanting to transition into their desired agenda uh, like you know just because that they are living life as a woman as their true self just because they have a motorcycle they run a chop shop it doesn't mean that they are any less trans than juliet that lives across the street who has a white picket fence and a rose garden and you know like cooks dinner for her husband every night the, the two are still trans people. Like, you know, that they're no different from each other. Like, they couldn't be any more different, but they are still, they still have that identity which is the same. And one is one is no more correct than the other. Like, they're, they're both valid identities. I just don't get why it's such an issue.
0: Because uh, people are so upset in their, um, in, like, the, the thought of uh how things should be they feel should be represented that it's very diff that if uh, um uh if someone turns around and says, Oh, it's some <sighs> rather I'd say it now um if it goes against what they were brought up to believe or to think the correct representation of a particular group was and to find out that oh it was actually wrong the whole time it can cause a lot of, like, issues for them later on when it, when they're confronted with the reality
1: of it. Yeah, and I find a lot of people don't like being told that what they have grown up with is actually a lie. I have found in recent years that a lot of people don't really take well to that.
0: Oh, definitely not.
1: No, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, better late than never, I suppose. But, I mean, like, so I was actually um, having this conversation with a friend of mine, and um, so she was... So she, well, I said was she is absolutely obsessed with uh, the Rocky Horror Picture She absolutely loves it. Um, and I, so at the time, this this was about eight years ago, and I hadn't actually ever seen it. I'd heard about it, and I'd you know seen all the hype, and I've seen I'd seen you know the. Uh, like you know the video stills and the images you know i i knew what it was i just never actually seen it and she was like oh you need to watch it you'll be obsessed like you know it's so like you know just like you know gender messery all round. like you know you'll love it and i was thinking okay well you know that sounds right on my street i'll give it go and i was watching it with her and she she was you know singing along and you know like you know quoting it word for word which i thought was very irritating um but she, i i was kind of watching it and just thinking <laughs> one i don't understand what is going i don't i don't understand what on earth is going on here um but i also found it very i guess i guess problematic in a way of how queer people were being represented um in this film i mean it was it was a film from the 70s so of course like you know there there are you do have to kind of forgive them in a way because of course it probably wouldn't have been 100 percent intentional for like you know queer people to be perceived in that way but i just thought it was so problematic and she was like well, why did you think it was so like you know problematic why didn't you like it and i was like well because it's the depiction of Uh, you know with with the words like transsexual and transvestite, and uh, like you know transgender and they were all kind of being meshed as if it was one thing and as if tim curry's character was one thing but using so many different words and of course the average joe would kind of watch that and think oh well that's what that is then and kind of have that uh view on what uh like you know this is what a transsexual looks like and in actuality they could not have been well wrong because actually they were just a very genderqueer person um but the other thing that i had a bit of an issue with was that because tim curry's character was a villain and a lot of uh trans people well trans characters in films um were depicted as villains and it kind of made the public think oh, well, you know, you have a reason to be scared of, uh, like, you know, trans people because they are like this. And that, that's one of the many reasons why I will never, like, I, I don't rate the Rocky Horror Picture at all because I, I just find it so problematic Um, in that sense as well. But, I mean, I do get why people like it and I do, you know, it's a musical, it's fun, it's glitzy, it's very, like, you know, it's very weird. Didn't understand the storyline at all. <laughs> like the amount of times that it has had to be explained to me and i I just literally don't understand it at all but i actually thought that it was more uh what's the word i'm looking for more damaging uh to queer people than it was progressive because a lot of people view it as progressive and they're like oh well you know for its time it was it was you know there was no movies like that ever made and you know it was revolutionary and it was this and i'm like well i can totally respect that it was the first film of its kind, really, because, I mean, I can't really think of another film like it. I can think of one similar, but they came much later. But I found that it was probably a lot more damaging to queer people than it was progressive. I mean, do you know what I mean? Or am I on my own with this one?
0: No, I can understand where you're coming from with that. I mean, uh, yeah, Tim Curry's character was essentially the bad guy. Like, he, well, they um had an affair with two people that were married to each other and actually like, slept with each one of them, made a new human being and, uh, literally killed, uh, meet the guy, um meatloaf meatlo- meatloaf's character
1: yeah <laughs> i remember that i remember that bit very vividly actually because i think it was it was actually at that point where i think they the bought the you know the big blonde dude that they brought back to life or like you know they created and he was going berserk and then meatloaf died and that was the point where i just went what on earth is going on here <laughs> so there's a, a- Living dead body that looks really
0: cute. There's a, a dead man in the freezer. There's uh, a screaming married couple that don't know what the hell's going on. It's like, there's so much going on in, the, in that particular moment.
1: <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I resonated with the screaming married couple. Like, I, I felt that on a spiritual level because I was feeling exactly the same at that point. <laughs> like, because I was, I was like, I mean, I am a very firm believer in you can enjoy whatever you would like to enjoy and you can enjoy things that are problematic. I mean, I am a big fan of a lot of um, films and television shows that are very, very old school, uh, but are also very old school in the way that they thought. Like, uh, for, for example, I was really into uh, like Only Fools and Horses. However, a lot of the jokes that you would hear in Only Fools and Horses now wouldn't exactly fly. And I was also a fan of like a lot of um, like old horror films that were essentially very problematic, or like you know the actors in them had done something, um, you know, and that you know they got cancelled or whatever you want to call it. But I am a very firm believer, and you can still appreciate, you know, something that is very problematic. However, you need to be able to acknowledge that what you like is problematic and why it's problematic. Because I think if you're uh, like, and a lot of people find the excuse of, oh well, it's still really good. It's like, yeah, but you can't just kind of think that that like an attitude uh, like in a particular film is okay because it's extremely outdated. But you, if you're excusing that behavior, because it's like you know an old film, like you, you, you know, you're probably liking it for all the wrong reasons.
0: Um, I mean, I when I was younger, I used to like the uh, Ace Ventura movie, and then I, the uh, uh, the classic scene where uh, Ventura.
1: Oh yeah, I know
0: exactly yeah. what scene. You're <laughs> the on the big <laughs> reveal. I mean, in recent years, a lot of people have kind of go,
1: "Yeah, I don't like that movie anymore because of that scene." Yeah, and I think like I mean. I remember kind of watching it when I was younger and I I didn't necessarily think like, you know, like how I would now in a way that I'd be like, you know, that's really transphobic. That's just perpetuating the idea that trans women are dirty and they're disgusting and they're taboo and blah, blah, blah. Like I like when I was younger, when that happened, I just. I I remember just kind of thinking what's the problem like you know because like for for me like I just I just couldn't really see a problem this is also the autism in me probably speaking that like you know I just couldn't see a problem with it like why why was he getting so upset about sleeping with someone that you know used to be a man like why was this such an issue and of course it wasn't until later that I kind of you know looked at that scene again and was like actually that was really problematic that really shouldn't have been portrayed in that light and I, I as well as the family guy episode where quagmire's dad comes out as trans and says you know uh like i i was thinking
0: about that episode yeah it was the way uh brian reacts when he realizes what uh that he'd slept with um Qu- quagmire's not well, one of quagmire's parents after they transitioned yeah it's uh, it
1: it's the force behind the vomiting that really gets but yeah so like you know it it wasn't it was yeah like you were saying it's the force behind the vomit you know it was very like angry and it was very oh that's disgusting that's horrible that's just like sleeping with a trans person is not the worst thing in the world like it really isn't like and i i think with with the whole idea of like you know because one part of the storyline was quagmire coming to terms with the fact that his dad was now becoming a woman and was living as her true self and you know even like quagmire's dad would be like you know i will always be your dad but you know i am a woman now and it was that whole transition of oh quagmire can now love his dad as a woman and you know it was all Like, you know, it it was actually kind of a lighthearted story. And then there was Brian's part, and it just really, really ruined it for me. Like, because there was... I just found that, what's the word I'm looking for? That reaction to that just completely unnecessary.
0: Yeah, the the fact that uh, Stu was kind of, like, screaming as well kind of made it out much worse. But it's also the fact that, really, Brian vomits for what feels like half an hour and then suddenly, I think he takes, like, a breather and then vomits all over again. And it's just kind of like, what the actual hell?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was kind of very overdone, wasn't it? And it, it's, it's just kind of one of those things that's like, did you really need to push it that far? Like, okay, we get it. Some people would be a little bit shocked. Or, like, you know, as, as someone could have turned around and been like, oh, that's not my cup of tea. Or, like, you know, th- there were so many different avenues that you could have gone down. But you went down that one. Like, you know, it's, which isn't doing a lot of people many favors because there are still a lot of people out there that do view trans women. And not just trans women, but trans people, as that. And you know, it's it's disgusting. It's taboo. Like you know, if you sleep if you sleep with a trans person, you are dirty. Like, and this narrative gets pushed into a, a lot of media outlets, and people fall for it.
0: But it's slow. It's starting to uh, get more of a positive aspect towards it, though. Like the fact that, um, for example, the movie bit that came out in like, 2018 2019 like, one of the main cast members is not not only portraying a trans woman but is in fact trans themselves and I thought it was really good
1: yeah but, like that was something that I was actually very surprised about because I didn't know that she was trans until they actually kind of started hinting at it like in in the film and like, even the actress, I didn't, I didn't even clock the actress. You know, for me, I was just like, oh, like, you know, it's just girl gang, like, you know, and it's all, like, vampires or whatever. And then this kind of started hinting, at, like, you know, the, like those little mannerisms about, like, her being trans. And I, I was thinking, oh, my God, I did not clock that. But the way that that was portrayed in bit was so good because it not only kind of said to the audience the fact that she's trans is no big deal. Like, it's, it's it, you know, it, it just so happens that she's trans. Like, Laurel, Laurel, is a, Laurel is a trans girl. Like, End. Like, you know, there, there's no there's no, oh, she's like this because she's trans. Oh, she's like that She just so happens to be trans. Like, which I thought was bloody Brilliant.
0: I like the fact that it was um like you said, it was hinted. It wasn't like right in your face with it. The fact that it was uh what do you call it? Um, like where her brother says, Oh, being quite rolled up about something and essentially said, you know, I was with you throughout the therapy, throughout the uh everything horrible that happened to you. And the fact that yeah. um
1: it was, it was subtle, it, and you know, they didn't, they didn't have to explicitly say it for you to understand it.
0: Absolutely. I love the fact that uh, Vlad, towards the end, literally looked at her and just went, eh, it is the 21st century. It's like, if a goddamn vampire that's like, God knows how many like hundreds of years old can deal with it, why can't you?
1: <laughs> exactly. And this, this, is, this, is, this is a hill that I will die on. The... No matter if someone says, oh, well, it was a different time and it was it was always different when we were younger, it's like, that's no excuse. It, like my grandmother who bless her heart was 79 when she died. Before she died, she knew that I was trans. Uh, she knew that I was different. She completely understood it. Uh, no qualms, No no qualms about it. And I have spoken to a lot of people that are like, you know, elderly. That would talk about either their friends or their family that were, you know, trans back in the day, and they're like, "Oh, well, that was what that was when, like, you know, Normal was a boy, like, you know, and now, now, Norma is a girl. She's our sister. And if an eighty-year-old woman can understand the the whole concept of I'm not happy in my body, the, this, you know, this meat sack isn't right. I need to, I need to change it to be happy." Then what excuse does like forty year old Gary from like you know Romford get like you know he's got no excuse like it doesn't really matter like how old you are like it it's just about actually having the not just the not just the mental capacity but the the empathy I guess you can have and the like you know the the actual willingness to open up your mind and kind of. let let new things in and say oh okay well this is a bit different but you know I'm willing to understand and I'm willing to learn like people just don't want to learn and you know like you said if if a vampire who's god knows how long can understand that trans women are a thing now and that's okay (laughs) what's stopping everyone else
0: yeah and I I love (laughs) I mean, I enjoyed the movie a bit. I, I do have a couple of hang ups about it though that I kind of wish they went a bit further with like the um oh, what was it? Uh, some of the other characters in the group. I kinda of wish they had a bit more of a backstory in a way, because I, I like the, the girl with the short hair and suspenders and the the girl that was set on fire.
1: Yeah, I did. I I kind of felt the same actually. I kind of felt like there wasn't a lot of character development because I knew the the like you know I you didn't really know their story. And I mean, the girl that had like you know the shaved head, it was a little bit punky, was of course the one with the attitude problem. But you never really got to know why she was the way she is, where she came from, what decade she you, you know was turned, and like you know and with the frog when she got burnt alive and they're like oh she'll live and she just kind of came back one day and then that was it she just n- never really said anything so i think yeah the character development was lacking a bit um but overall i did really enjoy it um but yeah i, d- I do think that, that there were a couple of plot holes in it that i was a bit like mm, could have could have gone a little bit further with that like yeah
0: Mm. I mean, I would have been happy with like um that snippets of what the characters were like before like, right before they turned, but one hold up that I do have is the fact that even on um quite a few of the like, cover art for the like for the actual film and in the movie itself, Duke wasn't i don't think I think she was meant to be kind of like a, a joint main character with um, Laurel. But I don't like the fact that her that she is literally, like, the main person on, like, the front cover.
1: Yeah, no, I, I get that. I totally get that. Because, of course, like, Duke was, you know, the, like, the main sort of, like, selling point. And she's, you know, she was just really big, loud, like, you know, I'm in charge, what I say goes. Like, you know, and really, like, you know, was kind of the really, really big personality in the film. But she wasn't, really the main character if anything i think she was actually like even though uh before the twist at the end like you know you you still kind of think well you're more of a villain than anyone else like you know L- laurel is like you know the main character in this and the way that duke was kind of you know really really sort of like hyped up as like you know she is the main girl she is a, and i really didn't think that that should have been the case at all and i mean i when I kind of watched it and when Laura was asking where Duke actually came from and it was when she was saying that she was in New York in the seventies and she was really struggling and, you know, this is her struggle. And I think what the film tried to do was try and make you feel sorry for her. But I don't, for me personally, I didn't feel sorry for her at all. Like I, I think, She was not really a victim of circumstance, but I think there was a lot of things that the movie kind of missed out that were very, very, very key pointers. That, like, you know, oh, you let's face it, no one goes to any city with no money, no plan, no nothing like it it just doesn't happen. And I thought a lot of her story was just really unbelievable, whereas Laurel's whole backstory and her journey. Was very relatable, and you could actually kind of be like, "Oh yeah, that makes that makes total sense." I didn't think that a lot of Juke's, like you know, life story and where where she came from and what happened to her, and like you know, all the vampires that were involved and stuff. I didn't really get a sense of that. I really either felt for her or that I knew who she was. Really,
0: yeah. I mean, I felt that. I think. It was nice to know that she did have a bit of a struggle to get to where she is, but at the same time it was a very extended backstory, given that really, the other characters, I can't even remember their bloody names, like the other people in the group.
1: No, I can't either really, and I think like the, the one thing that I just couldn't take seriously, bearing in mind it is one of my favourite songs, when Rara Rasputin was playing in the background and she was trying to say this whole, like, you know, th- this sort of monologue uh, that was meant to be really sort of like over dramatic and that, And I really just found it difficult to take it seriously <laughs> because she was trying to kind of be like, this is the situation we ended up in, you know, we we were like, you know, in the underground and then suddenly this man appeared. And I like with Rava Rasputin playing in the background, I was just like, are you joking? Like, I just found it really hard to take it seriously.
0: Same. I, my, I was bopping my head along to the entire song. I was like, isn't this on TikTok at the moment? And I was like, oh, wait, there's a serious moment. I need to concentrate on this.
1: <laughs> yeah, literally. That's what I was thinking. I was like, because, uh, of course, they've, like, recently, like, done a remix of it that's, like, you know, in the charts and everything. It plays in the club. I mean, like, at the club that I work at, I hear it bloody three times a night. But, like i was like when i was trying to kind of you know pay attention and really sort of like get a feel for oh this is this is her backstory now we kind of you know get to get to know her a bit better and i just couldn't take it seriously just because of that i think if they didn't really have that and they just kind of had maybe like you know like a subtle sort of like 70s or like 80s groove like behind it that was like you know no sort of like notable song i think you could have taken it a lot more seriously but i don't know whether that was what they were going for that it was kind of supposed to be a little bit ridiculous
0: maybe i mean the movie itself is quite it's quirky so i don't know whether that was what that the angle they were going for what but if i'm honest with you when i heard that song I did wonder if they were going to bust out into like, a dance routine.
1: I mean, I definitely thought the same thing. And I mean, I, like, what I was kind of thinking as well, because it is a very quirky film. Like, you had those segments that was like, um,. There, there is a word for it, but I can't think of it. It's when, like, the movie's playing and it goes to one reel and then it shifts to uh, another that's completely unrelated. You know when she's kind of, like, moving and dancing to, like, the song and she's got all the, like, you know, the trippy background and then it flips back to, like, the really serious situation and then it flipped back to her, like, you know, just dancing and, like, you know, what, what seemed to be tripping. And I was a bit, like... Where are we going with this? Like, <laughs> yeah, and I think like I mean, in terms of quirkiness, I mean, I I did think it was quite funny when they had um ah oh, who was it? It was it was the vampire hunters, and you know the the alarms were going off. And they were like, you know, we we have prepared so long for this. You know, manual station, stand your ground, blah blah blah. And then they just threw the grenade in, and obviously it exploded. They all died, and they are just like, do they really not think that we have weapons? And it's kind of like, actually, yeah, why didn't they think that? Like, why would they think that vampires don't have, like, another means of murder? Like, because they've probably got several.
0: Yeah, because then they have, like, a a safe as well of all the weapons they've collected over the years.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like, literally, they had an entire safe. And it's not the first time that's really been portrayed. I mean, in a... Oh, what was... It's a very recent film that came out on Netflix. I think it's called Night Teeth, and it's got um, it's got a girl It's the act, one of the main actresses in it was like an old um, I say old, one old. She was like an ex uh, Disney star, and uh, the film's basically following um, a chauffeur who gets his brother to cut like you know he needs the money, and it's his brother is mainly the chauffeur for these vampires, and the vampires live in a very well-to-do area of LA but the rule is that they like you know no humans can go there and no vampires can go out so you know it's this kind of like unwritten law that they have and it follows her and both of these girls are rich like like stupid rich like I'm talking like will carry like bags of wads of cash on them like stupid rich and all these vampires are stupid rich and it's it's always the way the vampires are kind of portrayed in horror as well, is they're either very well-to-do, very, like, you know, they have castles, and they're this, how many, like, how many years old? They have heirlooms that are, like, hundreds, and, like, you know, they're always seen as very, very well-to-do. So when it was kind of depicted in bit that because they were, like, essentially teenage girls, like, all, like, very, very young adults, like, no older than 19, that they wouldn't have access to any of this. I'm like... In which vampire film have you ever seen a vampire that was completely screwed for like anything? I mean really.
0: So they, someone made a meme about that. I saw it recent uh like say recently, it's could in a few weeks ago, where it was uh the caption was, uh how, how why are vampires always so like depicted as being really rich? And someone made a comment saying Mate, if you haven't found, if you've been around for centuries and haven't found a way to make a decent amount of money, just walk into the sun already.
1: <laughs> I mean, true say, like if you're if you have been alive for a lot longer than you should have, and you still cannot find a way to get money. And keep money and get rich, like you know, like build your empire for that. Come on, like what? What are you actually doing with your like eternity on Earth? I mean, really, like, I mean, in 19th, the way that uh, all the vampires are kind of depicted was they were very, very bougie, and I'm, I'm talking like you know ball gowns, like you know designer clothes, everything, like you know they were, they were so, so rich, and it was a really good juxtaposition because in their part of LA was, like, you know, mansions and, you know, hilltop skyrise, like, you know, luxury apartments. And then literally looking over, like, from their part of town was, you know, areas such as, like, you know, Compton and downtown LA, where it's really, like, run down, like, you know, you've got, like, Skid Row, and it's very run down and poor. And it was the kind of juxtaposition that, vampires will always be better off than you and they will always win and it's it's kind of a way of like even though they have a lot of limitations there isn't a lot that actually limits them as well and that's why i kind of like really liked night teeth because it really got the this is what it's like to be human but this is what it's like if you live forever and it was kind of like you're really selling this to me like you know i i like i i am I am picking up what you're putting down.
0: I've seen trailers for it, but I still need to sit down and watch that bloody film.
1: You really should. It's actually really good. Like, at first I was kind of like, you know, because, of course, all the new films that come at Netflix and they're all really hyped up and, you know, they've kind of got that, like, oh, you need to, you know, must-watch film of the year and all, all of that jazz. And, you know, I was kind of like, okay, I'll give it a watch. But when I actually watched it, they, they delved into a lot that you wouldn't, really think that they would like you know the the struggle of you know being poor in LA and LA like you know when I mean because we're from a completely different country we view LA and Hollywood as you know that is where you know celebrities go you're like you know A-list celebrities all the rich go there you know people go there to you know make their dreams come true they go there to be a star and you know you have all of that and it was really showing of that isn't what l a is like the actually l a is incredibly poor there's not a lot of jobs going it's a very sort of like you know run down area unless you're in like our west of what's that street called uh rodeo drive like you know not every street in l a is rodeo drive like you know you could turn a corner and be in a slum like really really quickly and the way that they kind of had this truce between like um humans and vampires was vampires were to stay in this area of la but that area of la never ever like went down under it never there was no crash it never um witnessed any real hardships and they were always better off whereas the human parts of la fell and was you know people people were struggling for money and there was all like you know weapon arms dealing drug dealing like you know human trafficking and that sort of thing and that's why i kind of liked it as well as the storyline you know like two girls back of a car like getting the chauffeur to take them to several places but they can't know why and then obviously he finds out that they're vampires and then it's it's just a whole can of worms it's a really really good film i'm gonna sit down and watch that soon <laughs> honestly it's 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 one of the very few modern horror films well I use the term horror very loosely, uh, only because I think the only reason why I would class it as a horror was because it there is blood and gore and vampires in it. Um, but in terms of it actually being like a horror horror film, it's not actually scary. It's, you know, it, it just has like, you know, elements of horror like in it. Um, but it's one of the very few modern horrors that I have seen that I have genuinely enjoyed. I mean, I could name you... God knows how many, that I just I sat through because I've already committed and I need to know what happens at the end, but I really don't want to.
0: Yeah, I can understand where you're coming from with that one. I've started watching a TV series called Slasher. It, uh, the first season came out in like 20, uh, 2016, maybe a little bit later than that. But I've literally gotten halfway through the first season. And I'm like, I don't care... If it's a small town and everyone has a secret, I just want to know who the killer is. I don't want to know who's banging their neighbour, you know. I just want to see the people die and find out who the hell the killer is.
1: (laughs) See, this is the thing. Like, when it comes to getting into horror, especially if you're, like, really, really big fans of it, like you and I. Like, I want to sit down and either watch, like... A horrific series or a horrific film, and I want to be engrossed in. There better be like you know, like you know, the murders better be good. Like you know, that like I I want to see people like you know be you know fight for their lives. I I want to see how creative this killer is. You go into it knowing that that's what you want to see, and I think when they kind of do this whole uh, approach of oh well, let's try and make it relatable to no 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 friday the 13th is not realistic like at all like and that trope has been carried through so many different films and the same like pretense but the thing is you watch those knowing that that's what happens they all get picked off one by one they are all killed in different ways and one of them gets out alive and that's why you watch it you don't like people don't really watch horror films to you know get to know the who the killer's family could potentially be and oh this person's going through a really bad breakup but they're gonna die in the next episode like people like horror fans don't watch horror for that at all and i i always kind of think like when um because every horror trope that's ever been done especially like you know count crystal lake um like Oh, what what was the one that they used in American Horror Story? Camp Redwood. You know exactly what happens, but you always want to see it because even though you know exactly what's going to happen, how it's all going to play out, who's going to die first, because it's always either like you know, it's it's always it's always a slot that dies first, usually like always and but even though you know it's going to happen you still want to see it
0: exactly i mean i like the deaths in the series i'm on, i'm only like halfway through the first season but i like the deaths i like how it's like, starting to get, like, really messed up now. And I like the fact that killer has, like... I mean, he causes some really interesting deaths. Let's just say, like, there's rat poison in one death scene. Someone else is, like, covered in honey and left in a field. And, uh, oh, God, you see the state of the body that one was in. Ugh. <laughs>
1: Honestly, like, see, this, this is why, uh, like, I mainly watch horror to get scared. Or, like, you know, I, I'm kind of... I want to be engrossed in what is happening. And if it's like a serial killer or if it's like, you know, um, like the, those sorts of tropes and, you know, you want to see the deaths, but it's like, how do they die? Like, how does, how does it happen? Like, and then you, you know, you've got kind of like a million and one thoughts going on in your head. And you're like, how is, how are they going to die? Like, you know, and it, it sounds kind of messed up when you say it out loud, but <laughs> it makes perfect sense because when you're watching a horror film, it's, it's not, it's it's never going to be sunshine and rainbows like you know it's it you know you watch it for the gruesome deaths the the suspense the oh no he is right behind you he's hiding behind the curtains and like you know you watch it for that factor and i tell you what a lot a lot of people that are in our sort of generation do get this as well because i i mean i was speaking to a few people that i work with and they're all a lot younger than like a lot younger than me And they didn't get it at all because it didn't hit them differently. But the final destination films I have carried into my adulthood, those deaths I cannot look past. Like, I can't look past, I can't look at a tanning bed without feeling uneasy. Like, or if I'm in, like, if I'm in like a taxi or like if I'm running a bus and there's a truck in front of us with a lot of poles in it, I I have to get off. Like I I can't be I no like absolutely not. And white like, face or like you know this is how everyone's going to die. Y- I carried that into my adulthood and a lot of people that I speak to that are in sort of like our generation feel exactly the same way. Like, you know, the the fear of going for laser eye surgery and having it literally cut out your eye, or going for acupuncture and being like electrocuted and having the needles like, you know, like straight in you as you fall through the floor. Like, you know, that that it sounds ridiculous. But those deaths in Final Destination really stuck with us throughout childhood. And we've carried that through to our adult lives. And there are still things that I still will not do because of Final Destination.
0: Uh, uh, Me and the Misses actually did a Final Destination episode a little while ago from uh, uh, the first one to the third one. I think you'd quite like, because we talk about like the... Like how many things must have to go wrong in order for this to happen to a person?
1: Honestly, and I mean, like, if like when you when you would watch it and the way that it would all play out, like you know, um, oh what what was one that was? Ah, uh, is it the guy that like it's like a washing line that's like in the bathtub, isn't it? The and he first ends up...
0: one. That's that's the one that uh, yeah. The first first one. Because it's the main character's best friend.
1: Yeah, and it's it's like, you kind of see the water trailing, and then it's like a whole secret. What is the likelihood of that actually happening? But then you think, but that could happen, because I've just seen it happen. And I think that's what really makes me feel really uneasy, because it's like, something that you never think could actually happen. It's like, it's right there. It's right in front of you. It's a possibility like and then you kind of work out more ways that it could potentially happen it really messes with you yeah you
0: just sit there in the middle of the night just staring at the ceiling like oh dear god <laughs> i'm having an existential crisis because of a film series
1: honestly like i mean i still like i mean as i was saying earlier like i look at like my friends would go on like tanning beds now and, and i'm like why are you doing that to yourself but like, they're like you know like I'm, I'm only going for a tan it's fine like and i'm like no you will literally get trapped in that and you will literally fry like and it's it's completely irrational but because i've seen it and there is a possibility that that could happen that it's, it's like you know this is why i will always love the final destination films for it because they really bought death scenes to a completely new level because even though like we've all seen a good death scene like you know texas chainsaw massacre friday the 13th like you know nightmare on elm street you know we've all seen a really good death scene but final the final destination series really upped it to a point where it made people actually think about their daily lives and what could actually go wrong just day to day because that wasn't a seri- that wasn't a physical person that wasn't someone coming after them that wasn't you know, there was no real agenda. They were just living their daily lives, and that just happened. Like, and I think that's why it hit so many people. Like, re- like really, like sort of in the brain. Like, oh, this could actually happen to me. And like, but I think that that's why the Final Destination films are just like, there's just top notch. I I would recommend them to anyone. I don't care how old they are. Like, you know, I will recommend them to anyone.
0: But there is something I have to really tell you about, and it's about the. Uh, the eye scene (laughs) apparently uh, a lot of um, you know the companies that do the the eye surgeries yeah well apparently after this film uh, that movie released a lot of them were actually getting a lot of um, appointment cancellations and they weren't understanding why
1: Oh, you are joking.
0: I'm not. There's actual articles on this one. And there's actually... There's one company that Joe looked into and they actually made a statement to say, this is why this would not happen while you're having this procedure done. And this is like, these are the precautions we have in place, so these things do not happen.
1: My jaw is literally on the floor right now. Oh, my God, this actually happened.
0: <laughs> it's, the, it's the fact that so many people are terrified of getting the, getting laser eye surgery, and it was kind of like... like one particular company, like I think it was uh, like someone that was working that actually asked, uh, so how come you're, um, like, cancelling your appointment? And the person actually explained that they saw the film... And suddenly it clicks. So so someone at uh, one of the laser eye clinics actually made, like, a statement. I think it's either in an article or on the website that actually states what precautions they have in place um, and really, right, this is why this wouldn't happen. This is uh, what we have here in order to stop any issues from
1: happening in the first place. Oh, my God, that is actually, one, iconic. And (laughs) like how see this is this is exactly what i mean that literally messed up so many people's perception of it because of that one scene because it put it into their head that it could potentially go wrong but not the way you think it would like and on like on honestly that is Oh I literally cannot get over that. Like, I—I I mean, I would have thought that something like that would have happened eventually, but not to that bloody scale. I mean, really. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just love the fact that it, that the companies had to make like an actual statement about it, and that's kind of like people. This is a movie. This is that you're not going to be left alone in the room with an active laser. We don't have a trigger set over here, so it can get knocked by something random, and we don't have electrical cool sets near water
1: supplies. Yeah, like honestly, because like even when I was watching it, like because that was the one sort of that was the one death that I kind of looked at and thought, I'm not sure how this is going to go because a lot of this is looking really unlikely because. What wasn't the whole thing that it was like a self-automated one and i don't think humans would actually trust an ai to do laser eye surgery just on its larry like i I mean call me a skeptic but i I don't think that humans would trust technology that much like (laughs) because you kind of need your eyesight but like yeah because it wasn't supposed to be like self-automated and then like it went wrong and or, like, yeah because I, I remember, I remember the scene sort of vaguely, I, I mean I just remember the girl's eye just popping straight out and just melting and oh god it was that was a sight I
0: can't remember if it was self automated but I do remember that the um, something hit one of the triggers and it caused the laser to like have more power sent to it, that's how it's, like, it went absolutely shit on her face <laughs>
1: Yeah, like, it went into complete overdrive, and I was just thinking, oh my god, like, because I, I was, what, was like I was, it, how I always explain it is, it's like, at, like, a really gruesome death scene, it's like a car crash, you want to look away, but you can't stop looking at it.
0: <laughs> kind of like, you want to see how, how badly it happens, but at the same time, you're kind of like, I feel bad. <laughs>
1: Honestly, it's just like I've I feel bad just witnessing your demise just right in front of me, but also I need get to get a like, bag
0: of popcorn out for it.
1: <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, I'm like I I need to see how this actually ends for my own peace of mind. Like, I mean I can't even think off the top of my head, like the most gruesome death scene I've ever like I've actually witnessed in a film. I actually can't de- i I mean I can think of like the sort of like most gruesome like torture but i can't think of like the most gruesome like actual death scene
0: i think of a couple of ones that have made me uncomfortable like really uncomfortable stuck with me but i can't think of like any specific things that are like my go-to like oh this is like the the thing that stayed with me for the rest of my life sort of thing
1: i think one that um have you seen oh what is it called is it called fear it's fear street on netflix there's three films
0: Oh, no. Are you talking... So oh, God. Are you going to mention the uh, the bread slicer scene? Yep.
1: Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. That one, I was, like... That That one, I, I was genuinely, like, shouting and, like, you know, cr- like, what was it called? Like, you know, recoiling into my sofa. Like, I just... Oh, oh my God, it was horrible. And, like... Because, <laughs> like, I never really... I mean, kudos to them, actually. I'd never really seen anything properly like that. Um, not that I can really think of off the top of my head. But that one, I was like, nope. like <laughs> Absolutely not. Nope. I
0: know. It, for some reason, it made my scalp itch watching that happen.
1: Yeah, because it was just... And the thing... What, what I kind of thought that made it worse was it happened so quickly. Yes. Like, it all just went so tits up so quickly that... When it happened, because every because it all just happened so quick, and then suddenly her head was just in her breast. Like, oh my god! Like, oh, makes me cringe just thinking about it. Actually, like, yes. <laughs> and the thing is, that film is not old. Like that, no, is it's very recent. <laughs> yeah, that that's a film that has been well in the last few years. Like, it's it's not old, but. That's a death scene that actually kind of topped a lot of them. I mean, I've seen in a lot of the like old school, I mean, one that I can remember, actually, from Friday the 13th. I can't remember which one, but it was Friday the 13th. And a guy got stabbed in the back of the head. And if you pause it on the right moment, you can literally see the animatronic. And just the way that his eye just pops out. And just how unrealistic it looks. It was
0: apparently it's because um, certain things in that film are meant to be 3d that's why it looks really weird is that why because mm. I've only
1: ever seen it um like in 2d and I remember watching that one bit and just that like, I, I was just laughing and I was watching it with like a group of my friends and my, like my a couple of my friends were not like me. They're they actually quite squeamish and don't really do horrors. But I was like, you know, Let, let's have a horror night around mine type thing. And I'd found it really hilarious. And all of my friends were just there like, oh, my God, he just got stabbed. Oh, my God, his eye fell out. And I'm just like, come on, man. Like, that that was not even remotely convincing. I mean, I think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, especially, like, the original uh, the one from oh what what day it was a, it was a late seventies wasn't it it was like seventy seven
0: Seven like that yeah
1: yeah so something around that era it wasn't eighties it definitely wasn't eighties but it was like the the arse end of the seventies and the the thing that was scary about that was just the fact that it was just so you know this family were just so messed up and it was just Leatherface's just entire demeanor, and it wasn't so much the way that the people were actually dying; it was the way that they were being chased, and the way that the family were like reacting to like their like you know the fact that they is these kids knew that they were going to die, and just how they were just so kind of in their own family dynamic and leatherface was just so out of control that's what i thought was the most messed up about those films like and it's it's that sort of thing that really stuck with me the dead, i can't even remember how a lot of them di- I, I like i remember one of them actually got like properly like amputated and it was actually quite gruesome but like i i i can't remember a lot of um how they actually died but i vividly remember the lead up to it and the way that they were portraying how the rest of the family and everything were making them feel and just how they were just so nonchalant about it. That was terrifying.
0: For me, what makes that film film really scary is that if, um, uh, I think, news got released about what it was like to work on that set because of, you know, the the scene where the Sally character is um, tied to a chair.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that bit.
0: Uh you know all the meat in the room?
1: Yeah. Well
0: apparently it was like what uh they were there for like three days doing that scene and it was like that what well, it was like a really hot summer and all that meat was starting to go off really quickly and it just stank.
1: Oh my god, that is actually disgusting. Like but then again that also does not surprise me. I yeah, think... like I I think yeah, I I mean I can totally imagine that if you're in that like setting space and Oh my god! You're just surrounded by rotting meat, and then you've got to deal with that smell, and you're just you're just done. You're just over it. Like, honey, those tears are real. Like, she literally just was. She would actually just rather be dead than be in that room any longer. Like, I completely sympathise with that.
0: Well, the uh, the Sally character, um, apparently, after she had done. A lot of the big scenes towards the end, uh, like her last scenes, like she went went to a hotel or she went home, had a wash, and she got contacted by like the filmmakers, and they said you have to redo that scene again.
1: Do you know what I would have done? I'd have been like, uh, no, <laughs> absolutely not. No, like oh bless her! Like she had to go and do all of that again. Like yeah,
0: it was. But it's the fact that really they say that uh, that's the scene when she's in the back of the pickup truck, like crying, like crying and screaming the entire time. Apparently, that was her like relief. Like that was her kind of right like, going. Oh my god, it's finally over! Like that was real.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can t- I can believe that actually. Yeah, like that. That definitely. Yeah, because there's been quite a few scenes like that, actually, um, in horror. I mean, with with things that are like, um, because, you know, you get like, oh, what do you call, they have a name, like urban legends in, like, you know, horror films, like, you know, like Hmm. the Curse of the Exorcist, like, you know, that was a whole thing. Um, There was one regarded, like, do you remember that there was that story that you would always hear time and time again um, of oh now the film has escaped me it's not the phantom it's you know the one with the house that was over the indian burial ground
0: oh yes uh i know which one you're on about
1: that one where the little girl's like they're here oh
0: god yeah that classic one
1: yeah that classic one um poltergeist yes that's yes the poltergeist i know i'd get there and eventually um <laughs> that the bit where the i think it's the mum that falls into like the pool that was like covered up and then all of those skeletons In the water <laughs> yeah and all the skeletons like come up and there was like that rumor going around that like oh apparently they were real like they were and um i remember the first time i heard that thinking no way would that ever fly because that would just be a whole load of like unidentified bodies that are just floated like no like th- th- there would have had to have been a lot of paperwork right like, and it would have been a lot more than it was actually worse definitely
0: no i think you could get away with a lot more things back in the day
1: <laughs> i mean this is also true i mean yeah like that, that mm, i mean it's like in cannibal holocaust uh, where the it's like the turtle scene that oh, was, real. That was <laughs> real yeah that was real and that that was actually one scene that I found really really uncomfortable because it it, it wasn't the gore necessarily wasn't the problem. It was the fact that they were literally killing a live tato just just like like in the film. Like that was real. Like that that wasn't that wasn't fake. And that was a bit like the whole fact that it was like. Bloody and gory actually didn't bother me. What bothered me was the fact that they were actually murdering Atato in in the film, and for 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 what actually seemed to be like no real reason. Like if that bit wasn't in the film, it wouldn't really have made a difference. Like so, I don't understand why they kept it in there. I I I mean, that was just me personally.
0: I don't get it either.
1: Yeah, and like there's a lot of horror films that kind of like. I mean, the the one genre of horror that I can't get on board with. No matter how, like, you know, how much I'd watch it or even try is just the typical, like, gore porn. I ju- I'm just not about it. It's, 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 to me, it's just substanceless. It's, It's just shock value for the sake of shock value. There's no real intellectual Like, you know, th- there's no smarts behind it. There's no real, uh, like, story and plot. It, it's just, here's a whole lot of blood and a whole lot of murder for no real reason. Enjoy. Like yeah, it's it's one of those genres of horror that I just cannot get. Like I can't get on board.
0: Yeah, I used to like it when I was a teenager, but I think that was because I was, I had a lot of emotional and mental issues back then, so it just made me feel a bit better. So
1: yeah, I was I was gonna say I can totally relate to that one actually because same.
0: Scott, <laughs> <laughs> so like, I don't want to deal with my problems. Or, or actually, I did. I didn't realise I was having issues at the time, but watching someone been tortured to death and kind of somehow made me feel a bit better about my own circumstances so it kind of says a lot about how i felt back then
1: honestly yeah i mean i remember watching hostel for the first time ages ago like i mean i was i mean i was about when did it come out i mean i was about 14 when i first saw it i think it did actually come like come out sort of around the 2007 mark or like if not maybe before um and the bit that got me actually like really hot and i'm not that i'm not that squeamish that like, i can i can handle like quite a lot of you know stabity stab stab you know I, I can handle if someone has their throat cut in a film that's fine however what really got me is that the, when the guy stood up from the chair and his achilles heel had been sliced and you just literally see it split and it, and it doesn't go on for like you literally see like that like a tiny little snippet of it. It's not even that bad, but oh my god, that that, that one torch a bit just no nope, absolutely not
0: yeah that thing really got me for me it's not just the fact you, it's the fact that you didn't like cut away and you just heard it it's the fact you had the visual with the sound of like the skin ripping away and it's just, <laughs> no
1: <laughs> yeah yeah literally like i'm not squeamish like really like i mean i like i can if someone if someone's bleeding a lot it, d- it literally doesn't bother me at all like but if if i see anything sort of like remotely like that or my thing as well like everyone's got their one thing um with the like the one thing they just cannot do and like you know i can i can tolerate uh eyes being like gouged out i can deal with like throat cuts i can deal with you know like hammer and nails and that sort of thing but what i cannot deal with like and i like and i literally cannot stress this enough what i cannot deal with is anything to do with fingernails yeah i'm not a fan either like
0: because i, I know what it feels like because of like the jobs i've had where i've caught my nails on things or trapped my fingers and tills and you nearly know, ripped up my nails just that thought
1: alone or remi- my just seeing movies like that it reminds me of that feeling and i'm like no yeah honestly, like my one thing is anything to do with fingernails like I like oh like when was it it was it was during um the first lockdown, and me and my boyfriend had just moved in together, and I was going through a load of like horror films that I'd heard loads about I knew the plotline, but I'd just never seen them, one of them being the fly, and oh no, <laughs> yeah. And I'd never seen it before. Um, I knew that, like, Jeff Goldblum was in it, but, like, I I knew the sort of, like, pretense of the film, but I'd just never seen it. Um, I was not expecting it to be that, um, uh, that, I mean, I will say it was an experience. Um... (laughs) But it, oh my God, it's, it's the way, because obviously, obviously it's a body horror. It's supposed to be like, you know, really gross and really grim and, you know, very, very graphic. But it was, it was the bit where he's actually peeling away his thing and, oh my God, I literally cannot. And I, I remember this, I, I was like on the sofa and I was like closing my eyes and I was literally like, no, no, absolutely not. I'm not going to turn it off because I, like, mama didn't raise no bitch, but like, no, I am, I am sitting this all the way through. But absolutely not. And, like, my boyfriend was just looking at me, just laughing, like, Jesus Christ, what did you think this film was going to be? And I was like, I literally did not even think it was going to be this bad.
0: It's like, how can they do this to Jeff Goldblum? How can they make him ruin
1: himself? And it's like, melt the nails off. In it, because, like... When I saw it, like, um, like ne- when you see, like, the title, like, you know, The Fly, and it's next to a load of, like, iconic horror films, like, you know, like, The Exorcist, and, um, like, you know, like, all, all of those sorts of, like, big names in horror, and you think, oh, it's going to be a little bit like that, like, you know, v- very that, oh, no, 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 that film literally needed to come with a warning, like, I, no. <laughs> there's a
0: uh, oh god uh the scene in the flight where he's um what is it arm wrestling someone in a bar and he that like, breaks their wrist it's just seeing the bones stick out the arm it just
1: <laughs> yeah like honestly i i was thinking like when i was what wa- <laughs> when i was watching it i was like this is very unnecessarily graphic and i'm new i'm usually the one that's like where's all the like you know where's all the like you know proper murder where's all of the like you know gory details where's all of this and it it was the way that it was, like, done in the fly that I was like, Jesus Christ, this is a bit over the top, isn't it? Like... <laughs> love that. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, like, oh, my Lord. So, like, oh, what was the other body horror that I watched that I I literally thought was absolutely pointless, but it was hilarious? Um, Oh, it was in the 90s. Society. Oh, yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Just why? Just nothing else. <laughs> Why? Like I, I mean, I, I, I applaud myself that I watched it, but I cannot and will not ever get on board with the reason. Like no, absolutely not. There was no reason for it to be that level of grotesque. Like there was no reason for it at all.
0: I mean, it's in terms of like grotesque movies. I think, um, yeah, you got the The Fly. You've got the um, I bought it, Baskin as well, and. Um... You know, you've got some of the, the Hellraiser movies too.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, Hellraiser. I mean, I've only... So, I've watched the first three, because, uh, of course, the first and second were, you know, iconic. Um, I watched the third one and was like, okay, this is this is different. Um, but, of course, everyone that I've really spoken to, like, has said, just, just, just watch the first two. Don't, don't bother with anything after that. Um, because, I mean, I guess it is kind of like a matter of opinion, like, you know, what what is that you would kind of, like, prefer to go down and what, like, you know, what your taste in horror is. But, you know, I, I remember kind of watching the first... Uh, the first Hellraiser, and it was more the sort of, like, you know, like, damnation to, like, eternal torture or whatever. It was his voice, like, Pinhead's voice that was the scariest part for me, because I'm like, oh my god, like, who sounds like that? <laughs> like
0: <laughs> So someone's been hitting the ciggies a bit too much. <laughs>
1: honestly, I was like, oh my god, like, it's like, I'm actually quite intimidated right now. Like, this, this is actually quite, like, I, I, I'm uncomfortable. But, like, there, there's a few sort of like old school films that I I thought could have been, well, I mean, I guess for back then, because of course there were very, very few films of its kind, you know, that of course everyone had to start from somewhere. Um, th- there were a few films that I thought could have had a lot more to it. Um, one of them uh, that I actually think could have had a lot more um, was Rosemary's Baby, which i wouldn't say i wouldn't go as far as saying it's really underrated but i don't think it gets a lot of the credit that it deserves but i also think that it could have it, that they could have been so much more to it they, they could have done so much more to it to make it even more like you know scary and unnerving because it wasn't because re- like in the grand scheme of things there's hardly any like blood and like you know any anything to really make you feel uncomfortable it's all psychological it's all mental and this film came out in the 60s like and for a film to kind of mess with your head that much for back then that's impressive but i think visually i do think they could have done a lot more to it but in the same breath I will completely be opposed to a remake. I think you should just leave that one the hell alone.
0: Yeah, if anyone touches Rosemos, baby, I will burn them.
1: <laughs> honestly, there, there are just some films that just should not have... that should not have even been bothered to have been remade. I mean, The Nightmare on Elm Street is... Do not get me started on that, please. <laughs> on, honestly, like, I was so disappointed and I because the thing is with freddy krueger right i mean yeah he's you know he's a pedophile and he was burnt and you know everyone was like behind it and he was killing kids in their sleep right okay that that's scary right that that's scary but every other nightmare on elm street film that you watch after that is just funny like I don't think they were actually designed to be scary. I said, I because they're all just really funny. Or am I just really messed up? Yeah, I
0: think the, uh, they did do a documentary a while ago. I think it was called uh, Slash the Pieces, and they did do a segment on based on the Not uh, like, My Name Street movies. That because it went on for so long, they were running out of ideas.
1: Yeah, I mean that does make sense actually, because of course, like. What like when you've got like an idea of course like you know like they would have all of the death scenes and everything like you know pointing out this is how she's gonna go this is how he's gonna go uh she's gonna get out alive and whatever it will come to a point where you're just kind of like what now like but i mean i guess it was kind of different for nightmare on elm street because he was a i don't really know what you would call freddy krueger actually because it wasn't like he wasn't a serial killer, but he wasn't a ghost. But he, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because he went for, like, the kids in their sleep, the, the, you know, you, the possibility in dreams to do anything, like, it's it's endless. You could do so much with it. But even I was a bit like, you know, some of the death scenes, I'm like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> the, the, there was about 10 different ways that you could have made that so much better. But, like, yeah, I think they're just, the, like, those films are very quintessentially 80s. Um, but one, and I remember actually having. Okay, so I I wouldn't say it was an argument. I would say it was a civil debate, uh, because so this guy that I was talking to at a party, he was a film student, right? I know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, he was he was saying how like you know that all, all basically blabbering on about like modern cinematography and how it's like revolutionised the way that we view the world and blah blah blah. And I said, "Well, actually, funny you say that. One of my favorite horror films is actually Suspiria, which is from the seventies. It's it's literally like my like favorite horror film ever, and it was purposely filmed in hypercolor. And the reason it was filmed in hypercolor was because Dario Argento wanted to show that." Yes, it was a scary film, but not all scary films have to be dark. And the as the story kind of like unfolds in Suspiria, you kind of actually question in the film like what's really happening, what's a hallucination, like you know if it's just like in her head or if this is actually really really happening. And it really, really messes with you in that way. But because everything is so colourful, you can't take your eyes off of it. And it was really vivid. And there wasn't really any film of the time that you could really compare it to. I mean, yes, there there is like one or two death scenes that are a bit overdone. And like, it's, it's that one scene where you've got the girl that's in the, she falls into the room with barbed wire and she's rolling around in it for a good three minutes. And I, I'm like, you, you could have literally cut that to like 30 seconds and it would have had the same impact. That's the That's literally one of the only gripes I have with that film. And I was telling him how, you know, that, that style of film was so groundbreaking and it was actually, you know, if it wasn't for uh, Dario Argento and that style of filming, you wouldn't have these films and blah, blah, blah. And then he tried to tell me that because it was made in the 70s, that it was outdated and you shouldn't be comparing films to that nowadays because those films compared to things nowadays are obsolete. And it was at that point that I immediately just clocked out and I was like, absolutely not. You have no idea what you're talking about. Because <laughs> like, if it wasn't for a lot of those classic horror films uh, that you would look at now and say, oh, well, they're old, they're crap they they don't they you know the equipment that we use is so much better than that we could create this with that back then they didn't have CGI to rely on they didn't have computers to generate anything they didn't have like you know like m- machines and like you know b- big style animatronics and everything to be able to create the effects that they did they had to make do with what they had and they did very fucking well and this is why i think a lot of classic horror films go over a lot of young people's today's heads because they just kind of look at them. and they're like oh well you know you can tell it's fake and it's like that's not the point like do you know what i mean yeah definitely yeah and like i think what i was trying to tell him like you know you can't think that those films are not just shit you know you can't say that those films are shit just because they're old like that that's just a really uneducated like you know statement to make you can't just say that because this film is old that it's immediately shit and it's got no plot line it's not worth watching because it's from the 70s like some of your favourite films that, like, and he listed off to me, like, a few films that he thinks are, like, really iconic and whatever. And I was like, they all sound like films that I remember watching that are literally from the 60s and 70s. Like, the, the, like, the whole plotline of a lot of the films that you're talking about have already been done. And if it wasn't for those old films, you wouldn't have the films that you like now. And he, wouldn't, he just wouldn't believe it. He just literally would not believe it. Because he was so, sort of, like, set in the way of saying well because it was old it's ju- it's just not a good film anymore like you know we're we're past that we have more um uh oh, what did you say artistic avenues to go down i'm just thinking use your bloody imagination like you know the, there was a lot of things especially what's that film that was from the 50s um house on haunted hill have you ever seen it yeah. How much did that film get to you? But yet there was no there was no CGI, there was no computers. There, 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 it was all trick it was all camera trickery and it was all psychological and it really really like I remember watching that when I was younger and I was terrified. Like it w- it was a really like it made me feel really uneasy.
0: Made me feel a bit uncomfortable cuz I was kind of like how are they doing this? <laughs>
1: Yeah, and like, I think this is what a lot of people don't really understand about films now, is that the reason those films were so good was because they did what they, like, you know, they worked with what they had back then. Now, we've got so much easy access to literally anything. You could make, like, something out of nothing. Like, you know, and if, if it looks a little bit shit on camera, oh, it's fine. Just add a filter on it. Oh, we, we can... <laughs> We can just do like, you know, this uh, like computer trickery. Uh, we can add graphics in there. And you're not actually doing any real work like to make it a thing because you're because people are so heavily reliant on computers and CGI as opposed to camera trickery anymore. And I think that's kind of where uh, like a reason why I love horror so much is because th- where it came from and the kind of like roots that it took in modern filmography like i i mean i'm talking like before the 90s so like anything that's sort of like 1989 and below fully relied on like you know essentially just what they had and even though you know sometimes the blood's a bit pink um you you know that you can still tell that that blood splatter took a lot of effort and you know the the big um oh what is it it's in it's poltergeist as well isn't it we've got the guy in the bathroom and and he pulls his
0: face away
1: (laughs) yeah that was like disgusting but that was all just special effects and like wax and like and like a robot essentially and but if they were to do that now they would literally just do it with like computers there's no there's no what's the word I'm looking for there's no like zhuzh there's no (laughs) yeah there's no finesse and there's not really a lot of love that goes into a lot of horrors now and I mean there's only a handful of them uh, that I can actually name that are sort of within the last 10 years I can genuinely say that I thought were really really good purely for that reason I mean as I said earlier like you know one of my favorite films was Suspiria well I said was is my favourite film. Like, what? what's like a horror film, like, what's what's like your favourite horror film that you will always go to?
0: That's really tough for me because there's quite a few films that I'll quite happily like, go back and watch, like uh, Prince of Darkness, which is one of the first films that scared me as a child. The same with uh, Species, funny enough, because of the bathroom scene. Uh, Valentine as well, which is, I am going to talk about in the uh, Valentine special as well because there's so many like weird deaths in that film that kind of like it just makes me feel nice when I watch it And, of course I, I mean i like watching like the cave which is you know it's it's good because of like it it was one of the first ones to do like the monsters in the cave scenario but i also like the um like the really sort of cheesy wwf horror films like the um uh, No evil with can play the main character like something for some reason that one hits a very soft spot for me
1: oh yeah i i saw that yeah, yeah i've seen that film yeah no that that one is actually really good it's like but it's so cheesy but it's but it's so cheesy that you just love it like it's one of those isn't it yeah oh what was the, what was one film that oh it was it's really i say old it's uh it's got us no, well Vampire that looks like no Salem's Lot. Salem's mm. Lot. Have you ever seen it? Not
0: for a long time, no.
1: Oh my god! So I remember I was I was about fifteen and I went around my friend Emily's house and we were like, "Let's have a horror night," you know. We're watching eighteen films. Oh, look at us being all rebellious! And <laughs> um, the it's the scene, you know, with the little boy and he's outside the window. Oh, I hate that scene oh it just my god. makes me
0: really uncomfortable. <laughs>
1: Yep, literally. Like I, I honestly, still to this day, I will not. Wa- I will not watch that scene in that film. And I have, I've watched that film like I'd say about five times since I first watched it. I, I cannot watch that scene just because it is so creepy. And after we, after we watched it, like even even the vampire didn't bother me that much. Like I mean, yeah, it was a little bit like you know, it was a jump scare. But like that didn't bother me as much as that little boy floating outside. Like that really stuck with me, and I still haven't actually been able to like properly look at it since because I just immediately I am terrified. The, the best thing about it is I don't know why it terrifies me so much because it's it's something very simple. It's 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 just a child vampire floating as i like, but it's it's the way that he looks. i i think it's more the way he looks than what he's doing
0: it's kind of like a creepy version of peter pan
1: yeah and i mean the makeup was very similar to um fright night like the original fright night you know when um they're in the basement and i can't remember who it is i think it's like it's one girl that gets turned into a vampire and it's the face that they ended up using on the cover of the um uh, for the, uh like the DVD and the movie posters and everything it was that, that particular yeah. yeah it was that face and i think the the reason why that face i i love it but i also cannot stand it is because its features are completely irregular and i think i used to think this is just a me thing uh but as i've actually spoken to a few people about it i it actually turns out that this is this isn't just a me thing this is this is an everybody thing um, that we find things that are very, very creepy when they don't resemble that of ourselves. So what I mean when I say that is, for example, you know in Van Helsing, classic film, absolutely love mm-hmm. it, when they're in the ballroom and then uh, Dracula announces that you know, Van Helsing's in the room and all the vampires like drop their masks and their jaws just elongate really, really long. Yes, I remember that scene the reason why that makes you feel uncomfortable is because you know that your jaw is not supposed to do that like you you're aware that your mouth can only open so far until like it, it won't open anymore so if it does that even more immediately you feel really uncomfortable because you know that it's it's not supposed to do that so with that particular face and the particular makeup your smile line and like your um cheekbones are not supposed to meet ever like it's it's just not supposed to happen because when you actually smile it only comes to like um like the center of your cheeks it's not supposed to go up like up at a 90 degree angle and hit your actual cheekbone and uh, so i actually learned this when i was doing makeup which is one of the very few things that i will always take away with me which is really messed up but the reason why it was so creepy is because you know that you're like a face is not supposed to do that and that's why people find stuff like that incredibly uncomfortable and very very scary and that's why that particular face was actually shown um as uh, like on the poster because none of the other vampires in Fright night look like that It's just that one. But that is the one face that everyone remembers from Fright Night. And that face was the same as they used the same sort of, um, not algorithm, that's the wrong word. They used the same formula for a lot of the vampires and the children that were in Salem's Lot because it was purposely made to make you feel uncomfortable because it's not supposed to look human. You're you're supposed to look at that and think, you don't look human. I'm supposed to be scared of you. And it's, it's kind of messed up in a way because it's kind of like, you know, we're going to play on humanity like, you know, one thing that they cannot do and we're going to put this in the film and make people watch it. But also at the same time, iconic behaviour.
0: Yeah, it makes something that, um, uh, like the build and the physical look of it looks really human, but the features are just really distorted.
1: Yeah, it's like um, oh, like, you know the depiction of aliens, like the little green men type thing. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, 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 because it's got the same features as like uh, like because they're slightly humanoid like it does make you feel really like a little bit uncomfortable because their eyes are so massive but their nose and their mouth are really really tiny and it's like um there's a lot of films that actually touch like nosferatu the way that he's depicted has gargantuan front teeth like gargantuan but like when have you ever seen another vampire depicted like that and it was it was really iconic the way that they did that because i i found the film on youtube um it was the original 1926 one and it's the like the silent one uh because i've been looking for it everywhere because i've been really you know wanting to watch it because of course you know it's just generally like you know so you could see Nosferatu, you know, because this is literally like, you know, the the father of all vampires in horror ever. And I remember watching it and it was just his appearance was just so, made me feel really uncomfortable. Like I wasn't necessarily scared, but I was uncomfortable because his features were so irregular. And I found that this was actually a formula that they use in a lot of horror films and they play off of it um because they know that it makes it doesn't necessarily scare people but it makes people feel uncomfortable because it's not like a jump scare where like you know it's it like as soon as it's done it's over y- you know you have a couple of heart palpitations but like you know y- you eventually do get over it those sorts of images stick with you like for a long time yeah it's just
0: if for me personally if uh if a bad guy like, if a monster looks human, it doesn't really freak me out. But if it t- looks too much like a monster, it, it's... Yeah, I do feel a bit unpleasant by it. But if it looks... But you can tell that it's that it's a monster, but it has a lot of human features. That's what gets me the most.
1: Yeah, no, I, t- I get that. Like, yeah, really, really do. It's like... Who was it? It was um uh Jason Voorhees, obviously, because he's got the hockey mask on. Um you don't actually really see a lot of the time what he looks like underneath there. But when you do, oh, honey, it's a mess. But like, <laughs> because you immediately see, like, you know, guy in a hockey mask and you just assume, oh, he's just, you know, he's a bit busted behind there. Like, you know, and it's, you know, you can't see who I am. But then when you actually see under the hockey mask and it's just this mess, oh my, because like, I, I remember the first time I saw it, I was actually horrified because you just were not expecting it like at all and it's like you kind of had this image in your head where it's like you know it's going to be a little bit humanoid but it's going to be a little bit busted it's going to be fine oh hell no 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 like it was not that
0: Right, so this is Caffeinated Monsters. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope you enjoyed yourself with this one as well.
1: <laughs> I did actually. I did have a lot of fun and actually like talk about stuff that, like you know, we're really passionate about. It's That's actually cool. nice like to talk about it for a change, like openly on such a platform.
0: It's nice to actually talk to someone about it as well. It's just like,
1: yes, another <laughs> got- one for the
0: collection. <laughs>
1: yeah, like minded people for the win.
0: <laughs> yes. So yeah, so I hope everyone enjoyed themselves. Uh you can find us on Spotify, Anchor, all the good places. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. You can buy us a coffee, get some merch, or you can just subscribe and just share the episode. It's always appreciated. And uh yeah, well uh you hear from us again soon for the Valentine's episode. This... This is... Big